Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Bo and I are here again having a chat, this time about uh, a topic called therapist ownership, uh, which is really another way of saying taking responsibility for our job. Bo, this is something we, we chat about a fair bit. Uh, it's something we have conversations with other people about a fair bit. And we often hear um, excuses made by people about, um, that's not my job, I shouldn't have to do that. Um, I always refer on for this. Um, and you know, I wasn't trained to do that. And all these these kind of these kind of phrases that we often hear in our education space, but also in clinical practice. What are your thoughts around this? Yeah, it's a, it's a big one, and I think you know when you do start to take that bit more ownership as to um, you know, for example, if someone's not doing their exercise and you you blaming it, blaming it on them, saying, well, you know, why didn't you do it? Well, is there something that we missed? Was was that exercise not uh, didn't fit in with their lifestyle? Didn't you know we didn't look at other factors that may be involved? Um, did they not enjoy it? What what else could it be? Not necessarily the complete shifting that responsibility and 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 the blame onto the patient when it it really is the, the teamwork environment and you've got to think well what could I have done differently or how could I improve on that yeah I think you're right and that's I use a phrase that it's everything's my fault you know and that that can be taken in the positive or the negative way you know if a patient comes in like you said and they're not being compliant with their exercises well if I look at that as that being a fault of mine like what could I do better next time to emphasize the importance of those exercises for the person emphasize the need for them to do it emphasize the uh, the potential outcome if they don't do them so if they're not following my instructions Maybe it's not the student, it's the teacher. You know, am I not educating them around why it's important? In the same way that if I don't get the results that I'm after in a particular treatment and the person has to come back and see me multiple, multiple times, well, then that's my fault. I probably didn't design and develop and, and implement the best treatment possible. On the flip side of that, of course, you've got the positive side, which is patient has a great re- reaction to the treatment, great response. Well, then that's my fault. I could look at it like that too or they are compliant and they do follow my instructions and advice and they get the great results, that could be potentially seen as my fault as well. So I think this is what we mean by taking ownership of the entire process. We are a leader, right? We have the patient who is coming to us for a service. They are putting their time, their money and their needs in our hands. And we are the person that's supposed to lead them down the the path that they want to get, that leads them to where they want to get to. And so, um, it's our responsibility. It's our fault. Is the upshot of it all? Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of that as well comes back to a, a process of reflection. You know, if you can really reflect on how that went, what you could improve on, you know, where are the gaps in your knowledge and understanding that you need to then go and focus on? Because if you you might get, let's say, yet ten patients, um, nine of them you've done an awesome job, but one didn't didn't get a whole lot better. Well. Um, you know, you got to think, what am I missing? What do I really need to to learn a little bit more? Um, Why did I choose that particular treatment plan? Whatever it may be, uh, really taking that that time to reflect on each individual um, patient, each treatment plan. um, And, you know, 
over over a, a day, over a week, over a month, whatever it may be. Um, I think I think that's quite a, a useful thing to do. Absolutely, and look, it's I think the days of of uh, of someone saying look, I, I can't find that information. Someone comes in with a particular presentation, or they're on a medication you've never heard of, and you're like, oh, I just I don't know what that is. The days of that that excuse is gone. You know, they're gone. We, every piece of information you could possibly want on just about any topic is available to you immediately on the internet. Like it's right there. And there's no specialised skills or abilities that you can't go and learn from somewhere, either face-to-face or online. It's everywhere. Like you can find these things. Yeah. And, you know, I often see this when people say, oh, it's, it's, it's not my area, it's out of my scope, whatever it may be. And, you know, you might take it, for example, um, a neurological presentation. Um, you might not be the best at it, but you sure as hell want to do the best assessment, really understand what's going on so you can write the best referral so that when someone does receive that referral, they get a pretty good understanding of, of what's going on rather than just saying nerve pain. You're not going to get a response back from that practitioner. You're not going to build a good um, sort of relationship with them. Um, so whether it is in your scope, out of your scope, you know, you still need to know a lot about different areas. And, yeah, you might not have learned it in your undergraduate training, but go out and, and learn it. You know, as you said, there's there's resources available everywhere. You look at PubMed, Pedro, there's all of these research databases, there's YouTube, there's podcasts, there's a range of different resources, including more formal education. Um take that time to, to start to learn about areas that are perhaps a weakness that you don't know much about rather than only focusing on things that you're good at and getting really good at those. Um, you still want to be, um, you know, keeping your knowledge up to date in various different areas. Oh, you touched on um, uh, scope of practice, which is this is a, bit, a big bugbear of mine. Scope of practice is very important. Like we all have a certain qualification um, a title, if you want to put it that way, that allows us to do certain things as defined by the training that we have received. That scope of practice can be broadened. Everybody's ability to, to do more is limitless, right? And so we have an insurance policy that sits over the top of our scope of practice that says there's certain things you can't do. Cool, right? As a, there's a whole bunch of manual therapists out there that can manipulate joints and some that can't. And so there's a very defined line of scope of practice there, but there is so much you can do on either side of that line to be able to help a patient with both assessment and treatment. So scope of practice is limiting to a degree, but it doesn't have to limit your understanding and knowledge of something. So you might not be uh, qualified to provide manipulation, joint manipulation, but like you said before, you can damn sure understand it. You can go and you know, understand what is involved in that, why it's useful in some situations and not, where are the dangers, where are the risks, really know all the different things that you, that you should know. And then when someone comes and asks you a question about, oh, should I go and see a chiropractor and osteopath or physio for this neck problem? I want to think maybe it needs to be adjusted or something. You can make an informed decision. You can make a functional decision about that, about that question and apply appropriate advice or guidance around that rather than say, look, it's just, it's not something that I'm trained in. It's not something that I know. That's a cop out. Like there's, if you want to be at the top of your game, if you want to be known as someone who's really good at what you do, have a broader understanding and expand your scope of practice or at the very least expand your scope of understanding. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really great point where um, we just, we really, like, if there's an area that we don't know much about, there'll usually be more fear. So if someone comes in with an imaging report and there's all of these uh, medical uh, terminology and diagnostic labels on there, um, it can start to ring alarm bells from a patient point of view. But if you as the therapist don't know much about it either, then there'll also be that element of fear there. And, oh, I'm not going to touch your neck because I've seen osteophyte formation, um, degenerative changes, uh, disc desiccation, a range of different things. When, when you look at it and think, well, actually, I know, I know a bit about that and I've looked at some research and I know that a lot of these changes are actually quite normal changes, given that they're a 65-year-old male, I, can, I would expect that anyone over the age of 40 is going to have some degenerative normal age-related changes. So using that as an opportunity just to say, well, you know, you might not be uh, an expert, an orthopedic surgeon, sports physician, whatever, having that little uh, bit of understanding on uh, this current evidence to say, well, look, based on this evidence, based on my understanding of, of this area, these are pretty normal changes. So not evoking added fear that's unnecessary then the patient goes away and is um, either in a heightened sense of, oh, my God, I, you know, I just saw a, a therapist and they, they were quite concerned about it. Their levels of fear and anxiety tend to, to go up. Um, so just having that bit of understanding about, uh, you know, different areas that um, that can really help to use that as, as an educational um, tool to help de-threaten and, and decrease a patient's fear. Mm, that's right. So much of what we see walk through our doors clinically is driven by internal processes on the patient in the patient's head. Like what what they're thinking and feeling about their presentation. You know, someone tears a meniscus in their knee, and they've guaranteed they've heard of someone or know someone who's injured a meniscus, and they've seen what's happened to that person's sporting career and their activities of daily living. And they just assume that that's going to happen to them. They probably haven't met someone who's torn a meniscus and has had very little to no changes to their activity to activities of daily living, even though we know that happens. You know, you can have two different people have the same injury and have completely different outcomes, but because we know one story, we'll follow that story. And so our job as a therapist should always be to go, look, here's what's happened. Um, there's a number of different things that could happen now as a result. There's a bunch of things that you can do to improve the potential for this things that you can do to reduce that pain and inflammation, all the, all the negative kind of things that you might experience so that maybe you can avoid surgery, you can avoid ongoing pain and the need for treatment, and you can probably manage this yourself in most cases. Um, and so just really, and we can't do that though. This is the key thing, right? We can't do that unless we have a really broad and deep understanding of pathology, of clinical uh, styles of communication and language, um, and of the human body. Like this is, this is our job, right? Imagine a mechanic who doesn't know what that particular bolt in your engine is for or what that dial over there is telling you. Like that's, you go to the mechanic, you pay them for their knowledge and skill to be able to manage everything in your car, right? Now, no, if the mechanic turns around and says, oh, look, I, I don't work on fuel injectors. So you go, well, okay, what am I doing here then? I need to go somewhere else. Now, there's going to be some mechanics who specialize in certain things. And that's why we have specialists in our industry, right? So we can refer off for the very specialized things. But I think if you want to be a great therapist, you've got to be to a degree, a bit of an all rounder, 
and then go narrow if you find an area that you're really passionate about. But you've got to be able to answer those general questions from people. Exactly. You know, often where are the, the, the first contact, you know, when you think about someone that presents with any musculoskeletal um, pain or pathology, they'll often present to us as a, as a first point of call or the last, you know, it depends on mm. the process that they've been through. But, you know, they will present with all of these musculoskeletal uh, disorders. And when you start to think about the perception from a, a, a pain point of view and a psychological point of view, if someone presents with the word tear or arthritis, um, they often fear the worst. Like, I don't want to move. I don't want to make it worse. But if you can use your understanding to say, well, do you know what? These, um, these injuries, pathologists, pathologies they respond really well to movement and exercise um, not to say that you know if you exercise it's going to completely snap uh, because there's been extensive research in different areas in the body and even spondyloarthropathies that you know people are quite uh, fearful of around axial loading in the spine that you know they can respond really well to high intensity training um, you know Knee osteoarthritis, the same sort of thing where people tend to be a little bit more hesitant, fearful, protective of that area. If we understand what the evidence is saying, um, you know, remove that fear, get them moving, get them active without saying, oh, uh-oh, this sounds really bad because it does. It's threatening inflammatory information that you see on, on imaging reports and, you know, the previous diagnosis to say that, you know, um, Look, let's 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 work through this. Let's um, you know the outcomes can be pretty good. So I think the key there is just to really not be so fearful of this terminology and putting putting it in uh, less threatening um, terms. And that all comes back to knowing more about that area or. or research in general and information in all aspects of what we do as far as um, musculoskeletal pain. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And there's uh, there's probably people listening to this going, yeah, great, that all sounds good in practice. I've tried that with my patients and they come in with these really complex problems. I can see they're terrified and about the potential outcomes of this. I don't know quite what language to use or what angle to come at it from. And I'm not really familiar with that spondyloarthropathy and how do I manage that? And like, what, how do I describe, like, I don't know what to do. And then they just go, well, I'll just go back and I'll, I'll just do what I've always done in my treatments. And, you know, the majority of people get good outcomes. So, so, so be it. That's okay. That's all right. But if you want to be really good at what you want to do at what you do, it's time to remove the excuses. We've got to take ownership of this. We've got to say, well, where are the gaps in my knowledge? I know I had a stack of them when I came out of school, out of uni, college. We all did. There's not a, a single university or college program out there that is flawless and has no gaps. I know I've taught in a bunch of them. There's heaps of them. There's heaps of gaps. There's no, there's no end to the amount of professional development and, and personal development that you can do to fill those gaps. And the people that are investing time and money and effort into doing that are the ones that are going up in their knowledge. They're ones that increase in their knowledge and ability. And that just pays dividends for the patients, pays dividends in, in your own satisfaction in your work. There's nothing more satisfying than going to work knowing that each day you are getting better at what you're doing and the outcomes are getting better. So if I can say one last thing would be no excuses, complete ownership. 
we've got to set the highest ex expectations for ourselves so that we can provide the highest quality of service to our patients. Um, everybody wins. I agree. You agree. All right, cool. Let's leave it there. Thanks, Bo. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Thank you.